0: Well, it was a privilege to open the Word of God with you this morning, and we're going to get to that. But first, I want to take just a few minutes here to uh, share with you a bit about what we'll be doing in Malawi. Uh, many of you have heard bits and pieces here and there, um, but want we'll to take about 10, 15 minutes. i are going to show you a little video and explain a bit more about the ministry that Emmy and I will be going to uh, participate in. But Before I jump into that, I just want to take a moment here to share with you, Timberlake, uh, how thankful we are for you. The most obvious thing for which to give you thanks is uh, your recent generous contribution and uh, support financially through the Christmas offering. Um, You've been generous and you've uh, just been in all the conversations encouraging and so eager to participate in the ministry that way. Uh, But really, that's just the tip of the iceberg of all the ways uh, you guys have poured into us and all we have to be thankful for to you I think of the um, just innumerable, intangible, unmeasurable ways that you've contributed to our growth and spiritual maturity over the years we've been here. Uh, You've spoken the truth to us. You've modeled faithful Christian living for us. Um, I also think of your role in the process of uh, assessing and equipping for the very work uh, we're going to be doing in Malawi, and you guys have been a part of that. I know it might be easy to think Timberlake's role in that is limited to what the pastors do. And no doubt they play a very significant role and have played a significant role, both current pastors and past ones like Pastor Tim and uh, Pastor Nate. But you play a significant role as well um, in that whole process of identifying men to, to do pastoral-type work, to do missionary-type work, and uh, the equipping of that. And so thank you for that. Um, Other ways you've contributed are graciously and patiently listening in the earlier years of learning to preach and teach. uh, Maybe you're still doing that. Hopefully it doesn't require quite so much uh, patience and graciousness. Um, And also for the various kinds of feedback you've given. I think of Mr. Wallace, who's always reminding me to keep it simple. Um, So you guys have served me well in those ways as well. Um, And then also just being as a congregation behind in supporting the Expositor Seminary, which played an obvious role in, uh, in my preparation to go and do the work we'll be doing in, in Malawi, uh, that's significant. So thank you for your support of that. Um, also, I want to publicly thank specifically our pastors. I'm not going to be able to look each of you as you're spread out here, but uh, just thank you for your commitment to identifying and working with men who might be gifted for uh, pastoral-type work and being just involved in assessing, equipping, and sending. Thank you for the way you've done that with me. Um, Churches should be sending missionaries and not merely giving some uh, obligatory stamp of approval and financing to those who appoint themselves. And so thank you for doing that, Uh, for intentionally doing that. That's the biblical way, but the reality is it's more labor-intensive. It requires being proactive, and it'd be easier to allow others like mission agencies to do all of that. And so thank you for your intentionality in that Uh, church. We're blessed to have pastors who are enthusiastic and passionate about foreign missions. Um, In fact, so passionate and enthusiastic that they refuse to blindly and undiscerningly support anything that takes the name of missions, but insist on leading us to support missions Uh, that is biblical and strategic. So thank you, men, for leading in that way. I appreciate that and I've learned a lot from that. Thank you generally, Timberlake, for for all of your contributions in that way. So now I wanted to take a little bit of time to share with you some details about the ministry in Malawi. Um, One of the first questions that comes up when you mention you're going to Malawi is this look of, where is Malawi?, in some confusion that maybe you said Maui as the place you're going on vacation. Um, so first, uh, I've got a picture up there on the map. Uh, that little long country there, that's Malawi, um, bordered on the east by Mozambique, on the other side of the lake, and on the north by Tanzania, and then on the west by Zambia. And we're specifically going to be working with an institution called Central African Preaching Academy, uh c-a-p-a as an abbreviation and pronounced kappa um and essentially they've been there for uh, i guess about 10 years or so and the man who began it has actually preached here before he's a good friend of pastor Farrell's, brian Biedebach. Um, but i'm going to first allow tim to play a video for us and then i'll come back up and add a little bit more to that uh.
1: African Preaching Academy or Kappa is a seminary where we train pastors and our focus is really to get guys to preach the Word of God. There really isn't accessible training available to pastors in Malawi. And so most pastors that are preaching week after week have no training in how to do what they're doing. There is a neglect of the Word of
2: God here in Malawi. A lot of false teaching. Um, you go to a typ- typical church in Malawi, they do not
1: emphasize on the word of God, but rather they emphasize on the ideas of the man
2: of God, the so-called man of God. I had a Malawian tell me that he was visiting a church, and the pastor was gone, and so one of the lay leaders got up to preach, and as he was uh, preaching, uh, he said, turn your Bibles to John 3.16, and he couldn't find it in his own Bible, and somebody from the congregation actually had to get up and help him open the text and uh, point it to him, John 3.16. How much preparation do you think he did for that sermon? Probably not a whole lot. Now, that's an extreme example, but that's a real example, and uh, that's some of the, those, those are some of the challenges we face here
3: have big churches but many times weak preaching and that has affected a type uh, type of Christianity we have in 80% of the country are uh, said to be Christian. That includes Catholics and evangelicals and all other people calling themselves Christians. But the statistics show that about maybe 11-15% to 15% are born again
2: Christians. Malawi is a country of over 15 million people and there are lots of churches, and it has a big history. Uh, David Livingston was here 150 years ago, and the Scottish Presbyterians have done some tremendous work here. But unfortunately, the level of training has never really gone to the level that missionaries are being trained at. And
1: that's the situation in the church. And then you talk about the Bible. In Chichewa, from what I understand, the translation is really poor. It went from <clears throat> English into Chichewa largely paraphrased, and so I've had things where I've taught in class, and students come up to me afterwards, and they said, I I need to repent, i preached heresy, because I've been preaching from the Chichewa text, which says something, and the English uh, says something different. And so that's the situation in Malawi, and you just say, what hope is there for this country? Uh, The church is a mess, the word of God isn't accessible to people, and that's where Kappa comes in. have two programs at Kappa. The first is an advanced diploma. It's a one-year program where we teach people to preach from the English text. And then we also have a three-year Master's of Divinity, which is the Greek, the Hebrew, the theology, everything that you get if you were taking the Master's of Divinity from the United States.
3: Kappa is a very special institution in Malawi in the sense that um, a lot of pastors that I minister cannot afford... The education that kappa offers other colleges are offering the same material but it's not as kappa's label it's so so expensive that it doesn't even come close to what the pastor ends in a year to have one school fees paid in part by 90 percent that is a miracle in malawian standards and i i believe that the demand
1: for kappa will just go up and we'll have no space and for our our master's program this year we had 52 applicants for 30 spots in our first year. We admitted 30, we put four on a wait list, and the first day of class we had 38 students in the classroom because people were eager, so eager for the training, we just we can't get it anymore. One of our goals at Kappa was to give a student a sermon every time they can. And so uh, we teach in modules, we have class for two weeks and then we're off for two weeks. And during the two week class time they are here we wanted to help them put together a sermon so that they could go home during the break and preach that sermon. And our hope was that the churches would say, wow I, I don't know what you learned at but this is great, if you learn to preach like that we got to keep sending you back.
3: The other thing that makes Capa special is that in, in recruiting our students, they, we make sure we take people that are involved in preaching. They're involved in ministry. So when anyone walks through the colleges of Kappa, gets trained in Kappa, you're training men that are directly involved with, with churches,
1: with ministry. They're preaching at least once in a week. So when you have a classroom of 30 people, you're not just impacting 30 students in your classroom, but it's the 30 churches that you're transforming as you teach.
3: In Malawi we need an institution such as Kapao mainly because we are in need of faithful
2: preachers of the word. Having Kapao here we are so much greater because we know that in the near future we have a lot of churches which have uh, pastors who can preach the word of God faithfully.
0: Once people have been drawn into the word of God they
1: will be able to see for themselves what well? What God says, no, we will we'll see the transformation. Get pastors preaching the word of God, and as they do that, one by one, this nation will change, or the churches churches transformed.
3: Because they will hear the word of God according to what is written in the word. There will be, there will be a total transformation of lives, but also there will be hope for eternity, and that excites me.
0: you to put some uh, pictures to to what I'm explaining in the ministry. Uh, So simply, if I could simplify all they explained there, the goal of Kappa is to strengthen the churches in Malawi uh, by training pastors to understand the scriptures rightly, to live that out, and then to shepherd their churches with the scriptures as understood rightly. Um, They offer three programs. I think in the video they mentioned two, but more recently they've added another one. The first is a Diploma program, which essentially just gives them basic skills in handling the English text. So they're dealing with the translation, not with Greek or Hebrew, to be able to interpret it, to be able to preach it, and then basic skills in pastoral ministry. And if they stay on for another year, and they already have uh, what they call a three year degree, we don't really have a three year degree we have a two and four year degree. So it's a bit different. But if they have a three year degree, And they do the diploma. They can stay on for another year and get a bachelor of theology, which just builds on that by giving further training in uh, handling the scriptures, gives them the ability to begin using Greek and Hebrew um, and some skills in academic writing. And then the the main program is the Master of Divinity, which is the same thing TES offers. It's a three year graduate program uh, and just aimed at preparing those who are currently in pastoral ministry or preparing for pastoral ministry to basically carefully interpret the scriptures. It includes the full curriculum of Greek and Hebrew, um, theology, preaching method, and pastoral ministry. And so my part in that will be primarily teaching the Greek and Hebrew courses to the third year um, Master of Divinity students, doing some academic administration, and then I'm sure teaching some other classes as needed. And then another thing that you can keep in mind uh, as you're praying for us is I'm eager to raise up more Africans. So there's already one who's doing some of the basic Greek instruction and I'll be picking up the instruction from him. And so I would love the opportunity to go bring him alongside me and continue working with him so he can eventually take over more of that. Uh, We want them to be empowered and able to do that themselves and carry on that training. So some specific ways you could pray for us and for the ministry would be just big picture that the Lord would see fit to establish a A significant number of healthy churches in Malawi that can become sort of this, the backbone for ongoing work there. That's going to be absolutely essential. That's big picture. How does that work out in the details? Well, some of the things that have to happen there are these pastors day in and day out are often coming from perspectives where they have theologies which are very unbiblical or doing ministry in very unbiblical ways. And they're going to be challenged. They are being challenged. Um in those areas, to to understand texts more biblically, biblical texts, to reshape their theology, so to bring it in line with the scriptures, and to begin doing ministry differently in ways which are more faithful to scripture, and that's always difficult, but particularly for men who are already in pastoral ministry or doing that day-to-day, that creates a bit of a crisis for them, having to work those things out, figure out how they Grapple with the text if they're going to submit to it or whether they're going to resist and not because that's uncomfortable. And then if they do, how they're going to choose to work that out in their church. And so pray for them. They need the spirit working in them to bring their lives and their theologies and their ministries into submission to the scriptures. And then it has to trickle down to their people. Um. They're going to then try to lead their churches in more biblical ways of doing ministry and more biblical ways of thinking and their people then have to respond positively to that. And so pray the Lord would see fit to uh, to move in their hearts that they would do that. When Emily and I were there in December, uh, we had one evening where we got together with some of the faculty members and some of the students. And while we were praying, one of them mentioned uh, a student who pastors a church in the north of the country and he's been trying to make some changes there in the way they're uh, doing ministry. And they were just saying that uh, a couple of weeks had passed and uh, the church had been withholding his, his support. It was a big enough church so they could support him fully. Uh, but they were withholding his support just simply because he, he was beginning to change the way things were happening. And so that's difficult for these men. Um, so keep those things in mind uh, and pray for them that they would have the courage not only to make those changes, but to graciously lead their churches uh, to greater health. So thank you, Timberlake, for uh, for your willingness to participate in that work and to send us to uh, to be a part of it. So now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. When opening the scriptures on a morning like this, it's pretty obvious we would uh, turn to a text or a topic related to foreign missions. And so this morning I want to address an expected topic. Uh, But from an unexpected angle, the expected topic is I want to just discuss what is your contribution as the congregation of Timberlake? What's your role in foreign missions or in the Great Commission? Uh, In this type of a context, most of you, the great majority of you, will never go long-term to a foreign field. um, But you have a role to play, and so it's common in these types of contexts to address that. It's expected But the unexpected angle, well, usually we're told two things, both of which are very good and we need to be reminded of. One, we can participate by giving financially, supporting foreign missions. And secondly, through our prayers, we can pray for foreign missions, and those are both very important. But this morning, I want to look at a third way that we as Timberlake can contribute to the Great Commission, and that is being a healthy local church. One important way you can participate in the Great Commission is by being a healthy local church. Now, at the beginning, let me give a little caveat here about who I'm talking to. We, as the members of Timberlake, are the church. You are the church. And no doubt pastors have some uh, special, unique role in the health of the local church, but not even the primary responsibility. It's the church as a whole that largely plays a role in contributing to the health or detracting from it. And so... Uh, when we, we have this discussion about the health of a local church, it's primarily us as the members of the church who shoulder that responsibility. Um, and so this is directly applicable to us. So how is being a healthy local church uh, a way of contributing to the Great Commission? Well, let me give you two ways the health of TBC is vitally related to the Great Commission. Two ways the health of TBC is vitally related to the Great Commission And the first one, Timberlake being a healthy local church is a part of the objective of the Great Commission. Timberlake being a healthy local church is a part of the objective of the Great Commission. How is that? How is TBC being a healthy local church a part of the objective of the Great Commission? Well, let me read for us uh, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the main command here, making disciples, is then characterized by two activities, baptizing and teaching. They're in verse 19, the baptizing, verse 20, the teaching. So there might be more that goes on and is involved in making disciples. But as far as this text is concerned, these are the two activities that characterize making disciples. And I want to hone in on that second one, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. First of all, notice its extensive scope, all that I commanded you. This is not something that can be accomplished in a 10-week discipleship program. So first, it's extensive scope. Secondly, notice its intensive follow-through. It's doing, not just learning all that Jesus commanded, not just uh, even able to articulate it to someone else, but actually observing it, obeying it, doing it. So let me ask you a question. In light of these two aspects, the extensive Uh, scope and the intensive follow through. Is this task of making disciples complete once some people among a formerly unreached people group begin trusting Jesus? Or taking it a step further, how about at the end of a six month period of discipling these converts? So in light of the extensive scope and intensive follow through, this process realistically isn't even finished after 50 years. All of us, I'm sure all of you who have been in the Lord for 50 years, would testify it's an ongoing process. And realistically, it's not finished until glorification. And even that is then at the individual level. Lord willing, there will be future generations who come along and trust the Lord um, and continue to need to be discipled in that way. So it should be evident that, as the first point states, the health of Timberlake in the sense of its members growing more faithful in obedience is part of the objective of the Great Commission. Now, this emphasis on the vital importance of maturity and health of believers and local churches isn't evident only here in Matthew 28, but it's buttressed by numerous other texts. In fact, this concern so pervades the New Testament that it's almost hard to pick certain texts to point you to. But here are a few that might help to fill this out. Consider Acts 14. As Paul is on the return leg of his first missionary journey, he visits some of the converts, according to verse 22, for the purpose of strengthening them. So he doesn't just return right away to say we need to go get more converts. He takes time to stop by at these churches, uh, people who trusted Jesus during his first time through, to strengthen them. Then in Acts 15, it's this very concern that initiated Paul's second missionary journey. Listen to Acts 15:36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And then verse 41 summarizes the first part of his journey as traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And then this is also how Paul's third missionary journey begins. According to Acts 18:23. and having spent some time in Antioch, he, that is Paul, left and passed successively through the Galatian and Phrygian regions, strengthening all the disciples. So this role of going back to these converts and encouraging them in the Lord and strengthening them toward faithfulness is something that's very concerning to Paul and something he's committed to. Also in Acts 19 and 20, we see that he spends two to three years focused there on teaching the believers, And at least one of the outcomes of this we see from Acts 20 is that he raised up faithful men who were able to carry on that shepherding work as elders. In Acts 20, as he's returning to Jerusalem on ship, he stops in at Miletus and calls the elders from Ephesus to him and encourages them to stay faithful and to continue shepherding the flock. And that's part of the work he was doing while he was there. So we see that even though this work in disciple making is ongoing and really doesn't ever end, that doesn't mean that the work of the missionary never ends. From Paul's pattern, we see that though he initially shoulders that burden of continuing this discipling work, he's He's working quickly to raise up men who can lead in that. And that's not to say that the elders, the pastors being raised up among these people are the ones who primarily do the discipling from Ephesians four. We would see that it's the believers themselves at large who, by speaking the truth to one another, are contributing to the building up of one another. And as they're using their gifts, but it's the role of the pastor teacher, according to that passage, to equip them for that work. And so Paul's able to quickly hand that over. That's his pattern. Similarly, we see in Paul's letter to Titus that even though Paul sends Titus to lead that church, one of Titus's primary tasks is to appoint uh, and install elders to lead that church. So from these texts in Acts, I want us to observe, one, that Paul recognizes the vital importance not only of conversions but of the maturation of those converts. He understands that the Great Commission includes not only uh, preaching the gospel, baptizing converts, but also teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. And I also want you to notice that even though Paul initially does that maturing, shepherding, discipling work himself, he is moving quickly to raise up men from that people, nationals, to carry on that work of shepherding. And Paul's concern for the health of churches is also evidenced just generically in his writing of letters to them. He takes time to write letters and in them evidences great concern for the perseverance and health of those churches. Um, we see it both generically and even in specifically what he writes in those letters. Consider, for example, a passage Clay read for us this morning, Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man mature in Christ. This is Paul's passion. It's not simply enough that they're converted. He's intent that on his watch, this part of Christ's bride will be presented to Christ, well adorned with righteousness. So in these several places I just looked at, we see Paul's concern for the health of already established churches. And remember, this is the man who so adamantly wanted to proclaim Christ not where he has already been proclaimed, but where he has not yet been proclaimed. Paul didn't think of this work as a distraction. He knew this to be a part of the Lord's commission, and he would be derelict in duty if he was not uh, participating in that. So because of this, Timberlake, in being a healthy church, is accomplishing that objective in part. We're growing and fulfilling that part of teaching uh, those converts to obey all that Jesus commanded. So what, what are the implications of this? What's the significance? Well, first, we must not perpetuate a very common dichotomy between missions on the foreign field and health here at home. I think it's easy to begin to slide into uh, choosing one or the other, but both are important. Neither can be neglected. Neither can be slighted. And we certainly must avoid pitting one against the other for the sake of advocating, which everyone were more um, excited about. So for those of you who are acutely burdened by the need for discipleship here, guard yourself from belittling Um, Or guard yourself from emphasizing that aspect discipleship here by belittling the importance of missions abroad. And for those of you who are especially burdened for foreign missions, don't allow yourself to slide into emphasizing that need by belittling the importance of ongoing maturation and growth here at TBC. Secondly, a second significance of this, the first being avoiding perpetuating that dichotomy between foreign missions and maturity or health at home. Secondly, foreign missions must aim at the establishment of local churches. So our concern in foreign missions ought not to be limited to seeking conversions, but ought to extend further to include this process of teaching the converts to obey all that Jesus commanded. And so how do churches play into that? Why plant churches? Well, because this ongoing post-conversion aspect of disciple making takes place in the context of local churches. This is why it's critical that we make the aim of foreign missions not only conversions, but the establishment of local churches. Let me remind you at this point, I know you know this, but it's easy to slide back into forgetting this. A local church has nothing at all to do with a building. A church is no more a church if it has a building than if it does not have a building. So when we say uh, planting local churches, that has nothing at all to do with whether they have a building or not, whether they have a sign or a marquee out front. It simply is a gathering of believers under the leadership of pastors, appointed elders, uh, members who are baptized, partaking of the Lord's Supper, those sorts of things. So it's absolutely critical we make the aim of foreign missions, not only conversions, but the establishment of local churches, because to to fulfill the Great Commission, that's the way Christ Christ intended it to happen, that that ongoing maturation would happen through the establishment of local churches. Now, if the scope of this command is such that it's ongoing until the return of Christ, does that mean the work of a missionary is never complete? Well, we've already seen from the pattern of Paul that no, it's not. Uh, That's not what it means. And that's because another objective needs to be to make these churches indigenous. What does indigenous mean? By that, I simply mean uh, basically not dependent on missionaries. And the primary way that indigenousness is accomplished is by having the church led by qualified men from that people group, by raising up elders from that people group to shepherd the church. So although this process must continue, it needs to be handed over to people from that people group qualified men to lead in that process of discipleship. So that was the second significance of uh, of the health of TBC being an objective of the Great Commission. And let me finish this with two more that are very simple, um, but I think will be helpful for you. Number one, pursue holiness in your own life. Pursue Christian maturity as defined in the scriptures. That's as basic as it gets for the health of our church, that you be a mature believer. And secondly, look outward to others within the body and help them grow. That's the second thing you can do to help Timberlake become a healthy church. So if the first way that uh, Timberlake being a healthy church is vitally related to the Great Commission was that it's part of the objective of the Great Commission, then the second one is that TBC being a healthy local church serves the objective of the Great Commission on foreign fields. So let me say it this way for you. Timberlake's health has direct significance for the effectiveness of foreign missions. Timberlake's health has direct significance for the effectiveness of foreign missions. How? How does our health at home contribute to our fruitfulness abroad? Well, first of all, Healthy local churches are incubators for faithful workers to be sent abroad. Healthy local churches are incubators for faithful workers to be sent abroad. Generally speaking, spiritual health and maturity of the men we send will reflect our collective health and maturity. On a scale of health and maturity, with this being a weaker end and this being a stronger end, we can't generally be here and expect to consistently send workers who are here uh, planting or strengthening churches to a level considerably beyond where we are. It can happen, so I'm saying generally speaking, but it's not what we should expect to be happening. To state it differently, generally speaking, the healthier a local church, the proportionately more fruitful role it plays in foreign missions. It might sound basic. But there can be a propensity like that first significance I mentioned to pit those two against one another and to think that to the extent a church focuses on its own health, to that extent it's getting distracted from foreign missions. And I'm suggesting I'm telling you that the scriptures say just the opposite, that those two go hand in hand. Let me say this negatively for you. Unhealthy and immature local churches send unhealthy and immature missionaries who do unhealthy work or worse yet, destroy good work being done by other workers. So the first way I've mentioned our health contributes to foreign missions is that healthy local churches are incubators for faithful workers to be sent abroad. Secondly, healthy local churches serve as models for those who go to plant churches. This might sound redundant, and indeed there is a very tight connection between the maturity of a missionary and the quality of work they do, but we can all understand the difference between theoretically understanding something and having seen it modeled before them over an extended period of time. So do you think that a believer sent out from an unhealthy church will be effective in planting a healthy church? How would they know what that would look like? And it ought to sober us to think that we will be the model for the church ministry being done by those we send out. Now, don't be too quick to think about how this applies to others. Think about what your contribution is to the model that Timberlake is. The men and women we send abroad will not have crystal clear understandings of the gospel and conversion if we as church members don't teach and model a crystal clear understanding of the gospel and conversion. These men and women won't be ready to clearly articulate the gospel if the fellow members in the church from which they are sent out are not able to and modeling for them clear articulations of the gospel. And they will not be ready to biblically disciple believers on the foreign field if you have not been modeling that for them in your discipleship of them. So how does the health of Timberlake contribute to healthy and fruitful work on foreign fields? Well, because, first of all, healthy local churches raise up faithful workers to be sent abroad. And secondly, healthy churches serve as models for those who go to plant healthy churches. So in addition to praying for foreign missions and giving to foreign missions financially, I implore you to participate in the Great Commission by zealously contributing to the health of this church. Pursue personal holiness, develop significant friendships, relationships in the body, learn to fellowship deeply around the truth, grow together, Uh, involve others in your sanctification and be willing to shoulder your responsibility for theirs. Yeah, be willing to shoulder your responsibility for theirs. You, as a fellow church member, have some responsibility for the sanctification of those sitting next to you. And so take that seriously and be willing to ask them how they're doing. Come alongside them. Uh, make your rubbing of shoulders with them not a Sunday-only thing, but something you do throughout the week. And spend yourself in the service of this church by the aggressive cultivation and utilization of your spirit-given gifts. Let's pray.